I was working part time from from when I was fifteen. So you know, any money that I made every week from from working in a shop would just go straight on film. And even though I enjoyed what I did, I never really thought I could make a career out of it. It literally never even crossed my mind that this could be my job. Welcome to Making Conversation with me, Grant Bryden, a podcast about music, creativity, and careers. For this series, I've sat down with a range of artists and creative professionals in order to learn about how their unique experiences and perspectives can help us in our own creative and business practices. For this episode, I spoke to photographer Vicky Grout. Vicky is known for her documentation of London's music scene through portraits that capture her subjects relaxed and full of character. She shot a diverse range of artists from both sides of the Atlantic, including Stormzy, Georgia Smith, Smino, Doja Cat, Amine, Slowtie, Virgil Abloh, and Joe Kay. We discuss her career so far, from her first experiences taking photos to working with brands like Nike and shooting that infamous photo of Skepta during a party at Ace Hotel. She speaks on everything from being self-taught to photo etiquette and why it's been important for her not to get pigeonholed. your first experiences with a camera were mm. your like family's camera um it was actually a bit before that it was actually okay. i think maybe when i was about 10 9 or 10 my godmother as she came around there she she had like a dslr and she's like a botanical photographer and i think that was my first time sort of like taking a picture and actually seeing like depth of field you know, in, in that sort of way. And I was just like, running around the garden, just like taking photos of like flowers and stuff. And just being like, whoa, it looks so cool. And then I think for my 11th birthday, I asked for a camera. And my parents got me just like a little a little bridge camera. Um, and I would just like take really shitty photos of like swans and like trees and like photos at like an angle and stuff. I think and I was really arty and putting it on like my Flickr. So I think I've always enjoyed taking photos, even if I didn't really know what I was taking photos of. I just knew that I enjoyed it if that makes sense and it was then maybe a few years later when I was maybe about 13 14 was when I actually found like my family's old like holiday camera and it was just like a little film point and shoot camera like neither of my parents are are or were creative in any way bless them so like this was literally just me sort of just like finding it like hidden in a drawer um and it already had like like half a roll shot on it so I just like finished the roll um, and that was just something that I would always keep on me at all times, I guess. You know, just sort, of ca- just sort of carry it around in my bag, taking like photos of friends or like candid shots, like any gigs that I went to, just as like a little photo diary sort of thing. I wasn't even necessarily taking portraits then. It was literally just like candid photo right. diary stuff that I'd put on like my blog. For context, iPhones only came out like when I was at uni. Mm-hmm. So before that, if you wanted to take pictures, mm-hmm it would be a more active decision. Whereas now, obviously, everyone's taking pictures of everything. Mm-hmm. So for you, when in that timeline that you just described, was were iPhones always around at the same time? iPhones came out when I was in year seven or year six, I think. Right. I want to say in year seven. I didn't get one until maybe three years after that. Yeah. So when I first picked up, picked up a camera, when I was about 10, 11, you could take photos on a phone, but they were really crusty and really shit. And you had to like Bluetooth them to each other. And like, you couldn't like, yeah, it was just like really shit. Like we did it to like have profile pictures on like Bebo, but at the time people would still rather use like a little digital camera yeah. to take like a profile photo. Do you know what I mean? People, like people weren't really taking photos on phones then. And then I think even when I eventually got my first iPhone, I think I was 15, maybe. Even then, like, people still weren't really taking photos on, on phones. Maybe, like, a bit, but it wasn't... Obviously, like, social media, even then, wasn't really what it is now. Like, I think Instagram had, like, just come out then, and people weren't really using it for what it was. People were using Instagram for, like, the shitty, like, Polaroid filters. I remember the, like, IT guy at my uni was, mm-hmm. like, the only person we knew who had a who had an iPhone. Yeah. And he showed us Instagram, but at the time, Instagram was more like Foursquare, where you just tag... Yeah where you are yeah, and then yeah, the picture yeah. bit of it became like an extra yeah and then so, that yeah. became the biggest thing so literally me and my friends i remember we started using instagram because we were using twitter mainly and then we would use instagram as a way to like as you said like actually put the location of the image but actually also put a filter on it to then put it on twitter yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was yeah it was definitely not what it is now <laughs> yeah. what was the first time you re- remember like hearing music and being kind of affected by it i was probably three and I heard Thriller on the radio and I loved it so much. 
and I was begging my mum to play it again. And she was like, I can't play it again. It was on the radio and I started crying. <laughs> so my mum went and bought me the album, like bought me the CD. And I literally, I, I wore that shit out. I literally, I, I know that album, like back to back. And I remember like, mom, I think my, either my sister or like my mum's friend got me like, a, like, I was like a big Michael Jackson fan growing up, like more so than any, or like most yeah, <laughs> yeah, little yeah. girls are. And I remember she got me like a, like a Michael Jackson, like compilation, like, like music video compilation and again I, I, I wore that out yeah but i remember that had like remember the time obviously like thriller like rock review everything so yeah growing up i feel like i sort of came across michael on my own but then like my sister had a lot of like janet jackson tapes a lot of prince tapes well she had them all on cd but i had like a tape walkman so my sister used to get her cds burn them onto cassette tape for me to listen to it on my Walkman. And again, just literally just wore all of them out. Like they're all like crackling and you can't even play some songs now. But yeah, I think that was probably my my earliest experiences of music. Right. Um, just like any sort of like family holidays or any like road trips, literally were just like me just like lying in the back of the car, just like listening, listening to my little Walkman, which was, which was cute. And then I think as I got slightly older and I started going to more gigs and stuff, I think when I was maybe like early teens and stuff, I was into a lot of like indie, indie stuff. My first ever gig, I think I was 12 or 13. My first ever gig was Jamie T at Brixton right. Academy. And then I think shortly after that was when I actually like picked up a little film camera. And then because it was like a little point and shoot, it wasn't like a professional camera. It, it meant that I could take it into bigger venues. So, you know, obviously I wasn't, I wasn't pressed. I wasn't in the pit. But I would just always like queue up super early. I remember at the time, because I used to be with O2, any O2 venue, I'd get O2 priority. So I'd always be at the front. They'd just like take any pictures that I could and then again, just put them on my blog, just for something for me to look back on afterwards. Because I'm guessing your blog at the time, you've said like the kind of stuff you were shooting is a bit more varied. At what point did you start to narrow it down and think like music is what I want to shoot? I feel like it was always mainly music. Okay. And then anything else was like an, an addition to that. I feel like because I've always been super passionate about music. Like I feel like music's always been my main passion. I've just never made it right. myself. I've just never made music. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like I used to I used to go to so many gigs from like a young age, like several a week when I was in school. I used to sometimes like leave school early to like queue up to actually be at the front. I feel like anybody that maybe knew my photography back then as well, I do get the odd occasion, on the odd occasion, I do get someone like DMing me being like, oh, I followed your work since like 2009 times. Like, right. I remember like your, I remember your Tumblr. And I'm like, oh my God. But no, I think it was, it was always mainly sort of live sort of gig stuff. And then the odd sort of like candid photo diary stuff, just like candids of friends and just like random, random shit really, just stuff I thought look nice on my yeah. travels but yeah right. <laughs> is there a photo from that like period that still stands out to you as one that made you think you could do more of this or i mean if i can find them it's, it's really not i actually haven't archived any of that era of my photography I've, I've got the negs i've got the cds or like whatever somewhere at my parents house and like a little box somewhere but i think it was only because i took a bit of a break from photography when i went uni for a year or like when i was at college and i think it was only maybe from like 2014 times till now that I've actually really properly archived it. But I remember back then, I think there was one gig in particular. It was it was the Maccabees right. at Village Underground. And I think yeah, I was probably like 14 or something. Right. Obviously these days like, I didn't even really know how to technically use a camera. Mm-hmm. I knew how to air quote, take a picture, but I didn't really know how to use a camera technically. So I upgraded my camera and I got a Canon AU1 program, which is like a fully manual, SLI, like you know the old school like metal ones yeah that are like you have to do everything manually and obviously at the time i didn't know what you know shutter speed aperture iso i didn't know what any of it meant i just knew how to click and frame a nice a nice photo so a lot of the time i didn't even change the settings i just shot and hope for the best and i remember i was shooting and it was like yeah i was shooting the maccabee show and there was like crazy stage lighting and again I didn't even know if it was going to come out or not but when I actually got the photos developed like the lighting looked sick everything looked hard like a lot of it was like ever so slightly underexposed but it looked really cool I remember showing them to my dad <laughs> and my dad was just like oh these aren't even good photos because my dad was always just like why don't you shoot digital and I was like okay well if you want to buy me a digital camera I'll shoot digital but for now <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm shooting on my little 30 pounds <laughs> film camera you know what I mean I always thought it looked better but for my dad's come to terms with it now that you know it you know, I am decent at what I do and that I, I can take good photos on film and that it doesn't matter that it's a, that it's, you know, I'm not trying to keep up with 
for ages. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so when you had that year out in college, what mm-hmm. were you, you were studying graphic design? Yeah, so I think it got to a stage when I was in school or maybe when I was like in college where, you know, I enjoy taking photos, but obviously, because I was shooting film, it just costs a lot of money. You know, even if you have like a like a, a cheap camera, you know, actually buying the film and developing the film costs a lot of money. And I remember I was working part time from from when I was fifteen. So you know, any money that I made every week from from working in a shop would just go straight on film. And even though I enjoyed what I did, I never really thought I could make a career out of it. It literally never even crossed my mind that, that this could be my job. You know, yeah, yeah. I was this is something that I do for fun, but it's an expensive hobby. Let me just chill for a little bit. Photography actually wasn't an option at my school or my college. So even if I wanted to study photography, that wasn't an option. Do you know what I mean? So in in school, I did like, what did I do? I think I did like textiles or something. But when I got to college, I did art and design, but specialised in graphic design. And then I was like, okay, maybe this is like a slightly more sustainable career path for me. Yeah, do you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? And yeah, I kind of just thought maybe that's the the, the, the the sort of road that I should go down and photography can be a little side thing for me. So I was doing that at college. I did a foundation year at CSM in, in graphic design. And I think it was it was the summer just before my foundation. So somewhere between college and uni where I just started going going out again all the time. It was when I started going to more raves. So obviously I was like 17. So I was like <laughs> getting yeah, into yeah. loads of places that I shouldn't have been getting into. But And I just decided like, fuck it, let me just take my little camera with me. And these times, you know, because I feel like my... My musical taste has always been very broad, but obviously, as with everyone, it kind of like evolved a bit. You know, I kind of like I got I got into sort of going to more grime raves. By I remember I was going to a lot of like Swamp Eighty One raves, a lot of Hyperdub raves, and I think naturally through that, I then started going to more Butters raves and Jams nights. And gradually, I kind of became sort of more exposed to like actually the live aspect of grime, if that makes sense. And that was sort of what drew me in. Um, this is like 2014 times and so yeah again I think just going back to before when I kind of just wanted something to to keep from the night you know I never went in into it being like yeah I want to document this you know at the time like grime wasn't hadn't even really fully resurged yet this was like German whip times you know this is like that's not me times this is like still like the early cusp of it but those are the raves that I was going to and you know that that I love going to and so I just thought, let me just take my camera and just see what I can get. And I was actually speaking about this with somebody yesterday, I remember, because we were talking about like clubs that are like, that have just been shut down over the years, like United Visions, Alibi, Birthdays, Nest, all of them. And then we spoke about Shapes as well. And I was saying that I remember seeing, I think Siobhan Bell put on a night at Shapes in 2014 and Stormzy and Skepta performed and there was probably like, 30 people there. Right. It was like literally like the, 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 the smallest venue with like the smallest crowd. And I remember getting some some pretty cool shots there. And I think that was kind of how I ended up sort of first chatting to, to Skepta because I actually, I took the photos and I must have posted it and tagged him. Then I think he saw it. And I think that's kind of how the relationship grew from there. So yeah, it was quite yeah. early on, I guess. So I guess when you first go into this stuff, all the way back to the indie stuff, mm-hmm. you're like taking pictures candidly of mm-hmm. the artist performing. And then at some point, you you obviously keep doing that, but at some point you transition into also sort of taking of portraits mm-hmm. and stuff like that mm-hmm. of the artist. How did that happen? That was sort of during sort of like 2014, 2015 times when I started shooting more of like the underground at like UK scene, like yeah. the grime scene and stuff. But I think in that sort of time frame before like college and uni, when I just started raving all the time, I I didn't have my camera with me in like the early stages. I was just going as a raver and you right. know, just kind of just like got to know all the eyes just through being licked in the smoking area and just like chatting yeah, yeah. to everyone and just be a guest. And, and so then I think when I did bring my camera, I think there was an element of trust there, you know, and I think some eyes that kind of already knew me were just like, oh shit, I didn't know you were a photographer. And I'm like, well, I'm not, because I wasn't really at the time. I was just like, I just, I just take photos. And so I think a few of them would then be like, okay, well, I've got this night, like drink, you could shoot that, or, you know, I need some press shots done. And it was, it kind of just went from there. So it was kind of just doing like press shots for, you know, the odd like DJ or artist or whatever. And then I think because I wanted to get better at doing that, I would then start like shooting my friends and like people that I knew. 
and just kind of shooting portraits of like people that I thought looked cool. You know, I just I'd see people on Instagram and I hit them up being like, hey, do you want to shoot? Started doing like test shoots with like modeling agencies as well. And I think in doing that, I kind of managed to kind of like create my own style in that way. Yeah. Because I feel like the the more you shoot and the more you practice, the more you kind of realize that what works for you, what doesn't work, what you like, what you don't like. And also just like how your work actually looks as well. Do you think there's an etiquette for kind of approaching people about taking pictures because you know you could just go and take their picture without yeah, asking yeah, yeah. or oh no 100 100% and that is still something that I'm very cautious of now because I do feel like that there are some photographers that will just you know take that photo put a camera up in someone's face you know and that could never be me do you know what I mean like yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to be a paparazzi do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I always try to be respectful of a situation, especially if I'm backstage, whether it's backstage at a venue or backstage at a festival and I see an artist, you know, I always ask, you know, or even say if I'm, like, I'm meeting an artist for the first time, but I'm there to shoot, like, backstage vibes or whatever, like, I will say to them that I'm just going to be shooting whatever's happening, you know, are you cool with me doing that? Just so that they, they know in case they see me just, like, taking a photo on the side, yeah. be like, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it is important because, obviously, you want to you know, maintain a relationship with the artist as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to be that person that, you know, pissed them off and then they never want to work with again. And, you know, sometimes if I'm around certain artists, I might not even get my camera out. So it might be, like, the perfect photo opportunity, but I'm, like, suddenly just got to respect the situation and also maybe just, like, know or hope that, like, there'll be more opportunities, you know, because you don't want to be that jarring photographer that's always there trying to take someone's photo. I'm yeah, sure yeah. some people think that that is me, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that's, that's something that I'm... Not trying to yeah, that's because that's something I was interested in. You have to kind of read the situation, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. do you think sometimes you kind of have to know that it's not the right yeah. time to and act, it's even hard, ask? Because sometimes, sometimes you you really want that photo. Sometimes you you try to seize the moment, and it's like cool, you can seize the moment and get the shot, but then the artist could hate you for that. So it's just sort of balancing up. Like, is is that photo actually worth me maybe never working with the artist again? Who was the first artist that you had to go and build up the courage to ask the question? I think probably Skepta. Right. I think because I'd, I'd shot him a couple times just like performing, whether it was at like Shapes or like Visions or whatever. And I think this was after the, the Nazim Mazar show at LCM, like January 2015 or something. And we were at the backstage party at Ace Hotel. I remember I see him in a corner, I went and chat to him and just asked if I could take his photo. And he was like super on it. He was like, yeah, let's go find like a white wall. Let's go find like a quiet space and I take a photo and I was like, okay, sick. So I think, again, because I'd met him a couple of times by then and I hadn't asked him for a straight up portrait before, you know, it was just sort of shooting him while he's performing or whatever. I think he was down to do it. I think maybe because he'd seen photos that I've taken of him already and he, and he liked them. So again, I think there was that, that sort of element of, of trust there as well. Yeah. So sometimes you kind of have to have that patience mm -hmm. to get that like moment that you want. If you're starting out and you're asking artists and they say no, mm -hmm. how do you take that? Yeah, I mean, there was actually an, uh, a situation with Fat Joe <laughs> at Applesat Festival right. in Amsterdam. And I was shooting for the Fader and like they had specifically given me like a list of artists that they wanted me to shoot and they wanted me to shoot Fat Joe. But he had like a completely closed stage, like no press, like no one was allowed on there. And obviously it's like, listen, like I, I need to get a photo of him, you know. And so... um. I was waiting by the side of the stage for ages and security wasn't letting anybody in. And then eventually one of the security that was working at the festival was like, wait, Vicky Kraut? And I was like, yeah, they were like, oh my God, I love your work, like come through. And I was like, oh my God, okay. So I eventually got let in and I got like onto the stage and I'm kind of shooting him from the stage and I see him kind of look at me and he was probably thinking like, what the, f what is this bitch doing here? Like I said, no press, but obviously I'm there like, click. <laughs> and then obviously he comes off stage and then, cause I know like I was trying to get a portrait of him as well. And I was waiting outside his dressing room and obviously I'm not trying to go knocking on, on his dressing room door and stuff. So I'm waiting for him to come out. And I think his like press liaison woman was just like, oh, he's got to go do a quick radio interview. But then like, you've got some time with him. I was like, okay, perfect. So I waited, like when I did the radio interview and I was waiting outside and then I quickly like grabbed him for a second and I was like, hi, really sorry. Like I'm, I'm here with the fader. Like direct, I can get a photo with you. And he kind of looked at me and then I like, turned to his manager and he was like, Look at all these people, like, look at her. And I was like, do you know what? I'm done. I'm actually done. I was like, I don't even care. I don't even care about you. So I just left. So it wasn't even like, oh no, sorry, I don't want a photo. Like, he actually was taking the piss out of my life. I was like, fuck you. But do you think you have to be thick-skinned starting out? I think a little bit, you know. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't personal. 
But, you know, obviously, like, not everyone is a nice person, which is a shame. But it is what it is. I feel like maybe sometimes if people have seen what you can do, you know, if, if they maybe see your work or whatever, then maybe they might be more inclined to let you shoot them. Like, I know, like, so, like, Bryson Siller has, like, his his photographer, like, Rolex, and yeah, she yeah. shoots everything for him. Um, and he never, like, even, like, I remember one time I was meant to shoot his show at Coco in, like, 2015 or something. And um and literally like a couple of days before it was just like n- no photographers like no one, um so I was really sad because I love my sister and then he was playing at One Extra Live in Manchester like a couple of years ago and I was shooting that you know I was gonna have like a time up with every artist but obviously I didn't get time up with him because he's like no photos but then I think I must have met his like radio plugger or something and I said to him I was like oh is there any way you could like chat to him and ask him, you know, like I know Rolex, like maybe like show him my Instagram or something, see if he's down, cause like I'd love to shoot him, I'm a big fan. And um, and he came back and he was like, yeah, he's down. Yeah. So I think sometimes, you know, if maybe if, you know, I think you sometimes do need to sort of sell yourself a little bit and sort of prove to people that, you know, you do know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I won't take a shit photo of you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's gotta be done sometimes. Going back to like the raves, you starting to take pictures, you didn't think that you mm-hmm. could become a photographer as a sort of career. Mm-hmm. At what point do you, do you think that that changed? That changed probably when I was like halfway through my foundation at uni. And that was around the time. So like end of 2014, like beginning of 2015 was when I was like shooting a lot, a lot of raves and a lot of like the sort of underground like UK music scene. And it was when, you know, artists started approaching me to to shoot either nights for them or like portraits for them or press shots. And, you know, I actually started getting commissions to do stuff, but while I was still doing my uni course. And so I was asking my tutor, being like, oh, like, can I get this day off to do this? And obviously like they'd, they'd let me, but like hesitantly, do you know what I mean? Like they weren't really looking to let me have time off, but at the same time, it's like, look, I'm, I'm doing what I'd be doing when I leave anyway. Do you know what I mean? And like, I kind of just realized at one point that like I prefer photography to graphic design. I'm better at photography. And I'm already starting to get commissions for stuff. So I finished my foundation. I got a place to do a BA in graphic design at UAL Chelsea, but I decided to just like, take a year out, like defer for a year. And in that year, I was just shooting so much all the time that literally by the time that September came around, I was like, I don't think I'm going to go. At least not to do like graphic design now anyway. Yeah. You know I mean, like, who knows? I might go back in the future to do something else. But I think at that particular moment in time, I just wasn't, it wasn't for me, really. You were working at a trainer shop as well, weren't you? I was. I was working, so, from, I want to say, 2010 to 2013. Right. I worked at, um, well, like 2009, 2013. Uh, I worked at Natajax in Kingston. Okay. I'm sure some people will know what it is because it's a very infamous <laughs> uh, like skate shop in Kingston. Um, but I worked there for a few years. And then for a couple of years, I worked at Office and then a couple of years at Offspring. And then I just went, after that, I just went freelance. Yeah. And never looked back. <laughs> what What was it that happened that made you make the decision? Because obviously you've got, you've got this job and I'm guessing you're using a lot of that money to spend on photography anyway mm-hmm. and to yeah. spend on... What allowed you to realise you could make that transition comfortably? I think the fact that I was spending so much of my time while at, you know, my retail job, being in the stock room, checking emails, you know, because I was, I was actually getting working at the time, do you know what I mean? So it's like, I felt any moment spent away from my phone was me losing work. And obviously, while I was there, I wasn't allowed to be on my phone, you know, and that was stressing me out. So I think... And I think my my friend as well, who also worked there, who's also a photographer, basically saying that like, you know, they went freelance for a little bit, you know, realized that like it didn't really work for them. So then they just went back to their retail job for like a couple of days a week and kind of juggled it. And I was like, well, I could always do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not the end of the world if I, you know, quit my job, try to go freelance and it's not working out. You know what I mean? Um, so, so yeah, I went, I went freelance and... Yeah, like never really look back. It's it's worked out for me. <laughs> yeah, you do get those moments where you're like panicking about, mm-hmm. is this gonna work out? Oh, 100 percent. And I think a lot of it as well is just is just to do with like people not paying you on time. Yeah, you know, just like That's so many right. invoices that you're waiting on, and you know, some payment terms are 30 days, some are 60 days. I'm still waiting on an invoice from two years ago. It's actually ridiculous. <laughs> so you know, I think that's the thing with being freelance is that it's not. It's not like a constant cash flow, do you know what I mean? You kind of need to wait around a lot of the time and yeah, it can be stressful. <laughs> what was the first paid gig that you did? 
I feel like early on I did a couple sort of like little little gigs. It was just I don't know, like cash in hand or whatever. Yeah. Just like little things. But I think my first sort of big gig was I did a shoot for Nike, which was for Nike Football. Right. And where did we? I think we went up to like Manchester. I can't remember where the like Nike like youth football team like practice or something. But I think it was like in in money but um i remember at the time because this was when i was sort of making the switch to digital right i started out on film and then i think just with like the volume of commissions that i was getting but also you know just the budgets were not good so like shooting on film didn't really pay that well do you know what i mean and also people needed photos like so quickly that i kind of just thought you know what, even though i like resented digital like i really didn't want to shoot digital but i was just like you know i think maybe it's the wise choice to make right now and I had like a like a cheap digital SLR but I think when I got the Nike job I was just like no nah, I need a proper camera for this so I remember I got a 5D Mark III on finance and then the, the Nike job would like help pay some of that off but um but that was the first time that I got like a proper digital camera and then yeah just like shot shot digital for quite a while just because it was it was so easy and it was so instant and yeah, I wasn't yeah, used yeah. to that and it was it was nice but also it meant that like the the volume of work that I shot was just so much bigger and there was so much selecting and editing to do. And also I feel like, like no matter how much I tried to edit my digital photos to look like film, I could never actually make them look like film. Do you know what I mean? I was still, there was still something, because you know, because I'm, I'm completely self-taught, so like any editing or whatever, I just don't off like YouTube videos and stuff, you know? So even then I could never really edit in the way that I really wanted to. So then after a while I was like, do you know what, I need to just, go back to shooting film. So I kind of shot half and half for a bit. Like most shoots, I would shoot like some digital, some film. And then eventually just went completely back to film. So now I'll, like, I only do like the odd like commercial job on digital mm-hmm. if I absolutely have to. Like some commercial jobs still let me shoot on film, which is sick. But um, on the odd occasion, if I really have to, I'll shoot digital. How long were you shooting until you got that Nike job? I want to say I'd been shooting for almost a year, maybe. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're not we're not counting all the many years before that that I was yeah, yeah, exactly. taking photos. But I don't think because none of that was really on my Instagram. I don't think people really knew of that unless you'd been following my blog before, you know. But I don't think people really were really aware of that. So I think people were only really aware of my work from like 2014 onwards. So I would say maybe like yeah, end of 2014, and then I think I got that Nike job maybe like towards the end of 2015. Yeah, because I'm interested in obviously as freelance creatives you have to kind of weigh things up don't you sometimes you want to shoot the artist so mm. much that you'll do something mm. for less money but sometimes you have to kind of put your foot down how did you start to like navigate that side of things i mean i was still working in retail around that point you know i was i think around the time when i got the nike job was around the time that i first went freelance so in that sort of whole year before that where i was you know i was still shooting but I was also still working, so I was sort of able to, you know, even though I was doing a lot of stuff for free, I was still getting some sort of income, you know, I wasn't solely dependent on that. And I think it was from that Nike sort of job onwards when I did actually go freelance that things started to pick up a bit more for me. Um, And I actually was able to sort of sustain myself, I guess. Yeah. And obviously living at home at the time helped. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. What are the advantages of being self-taught, do you think? I think the advantages of being self-taught is that maybe you sort of develop your own style earlier on i think also for myself like i never really looked at other people's photography until i was like well into it do you know what i mean so i think early on a lot of people would be like oh like what you're doing now is kind of similar to like what you and spencer are, like sam and wheatley were doing and like girls of graham and stuff and i was just like i can't lie i don't know who these people are yeah no and it wasn't until other people were telling me that that i went and looked at their work and i was like shit i am kind of doing what they were doing then but for this generation do you know what i mean but in a way, I'm kind of glad that I hadn't really come across their work beforehand because that way I was able to shape my own style first. Yeah. And I think now that I've sort of shaped my own style and I think for a while now as well, I've actually been able to look at other people's work and appreciate it. And obviously, you know, take inspiration from different things. But I feel like maybe if you take inspiration so early on or maybe if you're too fixated or maybe like one photographer or whatever, you can end up just completely copying their style. Whereas, whereas now, because I've already got my style, anything else that I sort of take inspiration from is just an addition to my style, if that makes sense. Early on, I guess that there must have been inspiration coming from somewhere. Where was that like record sleeves and or the music itself? Where was that coming from? I think, I think early on, it was just like, this is going to sound so corny, but just like stuff that I saw on like blogs and like right. Tumblr and stuff like, and a lot of it wasn't even music photography. A lot of it was like, do you know Victor Vautier? He's no. like a film photographer, but he, he... It's shot a lot of like, 
I think I want to say like Carhartt campaigns, maybe like Lazy Oath stuff. But this was like even before he shot all of that. But he just shot really nice photos of of girls on film, and he just took very sort of like dreamy like film photos. And I remember seeing his work at the time. This is before I even knew what film was. You right. know, obviously I was aware of it, but I didn't clock that that was film. And I was like, why did his photos look so sick? Do you know what I mean? And I was like, and then one day I was like, oh shit, okay, he shoots film. And I think it was shortly after that when I actually first picked up a little point and shoot film camera. But then obviously because I think I wanted to sort of, I guess, keep something from the shows that I was going to. Because I remember at the time, any gigs that I went to, I would try to take a photo on my phone. But obviously, like, phone cameras were so shit then. They just looked awful. So I just wanted, like, a nice photo to look back on, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I think in terms of, like, the music stuff, it was literally just me rocking up with my camera. And then I think gradually that sort of evolved into more sort of portrait stuff. You obviously started because you're trying to capture these memories for yourself. Mm-hmm. but. I think photography is really important to like subcultures because like you can have the music, but you also kind of to fully connect, you kind of want to know what the people look like, what they're wearing, mm-hmm. like all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And especially for things to go further than London or yeah. further than not even London, but the specific clubs and places where they're happening. At what point did you realize that for kind of your generation, you were like capturing more than just your own memories? Um, I think it was probably like beginning of like 2015 times and I think obviously I very luckily managed to catch like the resurgence of Graham at the right time yeah. um, you know completely unintentional you know that was just like the raves that I love going to at the time and wanted to sort of have something to look back on after but I think because I was putting it out you know on my Instagram or like my Twitter or whatever and I think because people sort of started to pay attention to Graham again you know, and you know, everyone's eyes were on Graham at the time. I think because I was one of the few people that were shooting it then, you know, people naturally would, would see my work at the same time. So I think then was kind of when I realized that like, this this could be something big. Obviously going through all of the articles and all the different things that are out there about you, the mm-hmm. Grime's pretty much mentioned in the headline for everything. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of got celebrated but also maybe pigeonholed the grime photographer Mm -hmm. whereas especially now looking at your work it's it's like a lot broader there's Mm -hmm. a lot more than that was there ever a disadvantage do you think to being sort of tied to a specific scene yeah i mean i think so i think like in in a few ways i feel like firstly you know being you know sort of pigeonholed as like the grime photographer of london or whatever you know obviously like being like a little a little white girl you know, it can be a bit problematic. And obviously there are other people that are documenting the scene that, you know, come from from that space and that culture, you know, and I feel like I find it quite uncomfortable personally when I'm sort of being kind of like held up as like being like the grand photographer, do you know what I mean? And then at the same time, like brands and clients will use that as well. Cause you know, I am seen as like a a palatable face of grime. Do you know what I mean? And I think because I'm seen as like a air quote, like urban, grime photographer um people will kind of use that for like brand campaigns or whatever and you know which is a bit gross but also for me personally i just end up being pigeonholed as to shoot in sort of one one side of photography when really and truly that's not what i do do you know yeah. what I mean? but also because whenever we've had conversations about music mm-hmm. you listen to a lot of different music yeah. as well. And that's well. the thing as well, I think people just assume that I only listen to Grime. Do you ever feel like it's sort of held you back from being considered for artists that you might want to shoot? I think so sometimes, yeah. I think especially when I've maybe had like meetings with labels or like different people and you know, and they're sort of talking about different artists that I could shoot for them. And you know, they, I think they think that I'm only interested in shooting like the Grime artists, or, like the UK rap artists. And it's like, nah, like, give me some singers, give me some R&B artists, like, oh, I'll shoot everything. <laughs> yeah, because I think m- most of the music that we end up kind of recommending each other's like, it's nearly always from Chicago and it's mm-hmm. nearly always kind of soul or like soulful mm-hmm. rap. Yeah. How did you get into like that, that sort of stuff? I mean, I kind of got into rap when I was about 16. It was when, it was when I was working in a skate shop and I remember my, my no, even 15 actually, I was working in a skate shop and I remember my manager at the time all who would play would be like MF Doom, like Gangstar. Um, and so I just kind of got into like old school hip hop that way. And then obviously being like 15 and like Odd Futures just come out, I was like, oh my God, what is this? It's great. And obviously like listening to like Tyler at the time. And I remember Tyler used to do these mixes and they were called like Summer Camp Mix. Right. And um, they were just like, 
mixes of like everything that he listens to because he like Tyler's always like you can tell with his production and his music like Tyler's got a very eclectic taste of taste of music do you know what I mean and so I remember his mixes would be you know from you know Pharrell to Tupac to Toro Moir to like Smith Westerns to everything so I remember just listening to his mixes and taking it all in and just like being introduced to so much music that I hadn't previously really appreciated that much if that makes sense so I think from like 15 onwards was when I really started to listen to more sort of rap and hip hop. And then I think in terms of like the more sort of soul stuff, I think it was when I sort of got introduced to like Kate Trinada and stuff in like 2014. Yeah. And then through Kate Trinada, I got introduced to Selection. And I mean, I listen to Selection mixes every day to this day still. Like Selection is the best thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also Selection, you know, alongside being like a label and a radio station, it is, it's kind of become like a genre in itself as well. Yeah. But I feel like I've, I've come across so many artists through selection as well. And I think that sort of opened my eyes to more sort of international artists as well, and not just UK artists that are, you know, sort of smaller up and coming as opposed to like the, the big inter- international artists that everyone sort of knows about. Because you tend to catch a lot of those artists mm-hmm. when they come into town as well. You've mm-hmm. caught Mino early yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Like Amina and stuff, yeah. yeah. Because I guess with the UK artists we mentioned before, Skepta, you'd met him a few times before you shot him and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Whereas with the American guys, you've got a shorter window to sort of get to know them. How do you yeah. how do you go about that? I think I think it depends. But sometimes, say if there's like a new upcoming artist and like they're in London and I get asked to shoot them, you know, and I actually listen to their music and they're actually fucking sick. So then I think from then, every time they're in London, I'll try and do something with them, you know. So it's like that with, you know, Monty Booker and Smino, Amine, like I shot Amine's like first London show at Cameo. My friend, my friend Rico was kind of like helping him plug stuff in UK yeah. while he was over here. And he asked me to come shoot his show. And then since then I've, I've shot every London show that he's done, which has been really cool. And yeah, I think obviously, as you said, you get a really sort of short window. So I guess every time they are in the UK, just try and link up with them, do something with them to try and maintain that relationship. Obviously Doja Cat was here like the other month and I literally had like just missed her her last London show, which is in like March, I think. And I think she's fucking sick. I think she's like one of the sickest that is out right yeah. now. I love her. <laughs> and I was just like so determined to like make something happen. And obviously I chatted to you being like, do you know who looks after her? And obviously there was like a long email thread of like people adding other people in. And then eventually found someone that actually could, could help, you know, yeah. manage to get backstage and, and shoot her and then actually got asked the next day to, to shoot her for Clash as well, which I think may or may not have been related. I don't yeah. even know. But um, yeah, I managed to shoot her twice in two days, which was great. And yeah, so yeah. hopefully, you know, like next time she's in London, I might be able to do something with her. And I think it's just sort of gradually building that relationship that way as well. Because I was going to say that, obviously, when you first answered the question, you said if if someone asks you, mm-hmm. whereas I know a lot of the time it's you trying, to, trying yeah. to reach out to the person, like what is it in an artist that makes you passionate about wanting to shoot them? I think I need to I need to fuck with the music. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like there's there's a lot of artists or a lot of people that you know wanna wanna shoot certain people, you know, because they're you know hot right now or they're clouty or whatever. But you know, if I don't fuck with your music, I don't, I don't care. Like I'm not I'm not really that interested. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like I'm really big on like production and beats. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like if an artist has like sick production then that music will resonate with me. Do you right. know what I mean? And I feel like if your music resonates with me, I will want to shoot you. So I think that's the main thing for me, really. <laughs> right. You know, sometimes an artist might make amazing music, but visually mm. might not be that interesting. Yeah. And vice versa, you get some amazing looking artists yeah. who where their music's not. I mean, I feel like if you get artists that looks amazing and I might not buy their music every single day, I will still want to shoot them, providing that, you know, I don't actually hate their music. Yeah, yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. But I feel like if I love someone's music and they might not be that visually stimulating, I, I probably will still want to shoot them because I am a fan of what they do, you know? Yeah, because I'd say like there's been a few artists like that where I feel like you've been able to really pull something out of them mm-hmm. in an image mm-hmm. because sometimes it's not that they're not that visually interesting. It's just yeah. that the right person hasn't hasn't sure. shot them. How do you think that you take sort of like a normal looking person with your sort of creative process how do you identify what you want to get out of them i think the the main thing when it comes to shooting you know a portrait of a person is that you want to sort of get a bit of their 
personality and a bit of their character out. And I think, especially as you were saying, if I'm a fan of someone, but they might not be that super visually interesting or whatever, I feel like if, if I'm a fan of them and I tell them that, you know, that will instantly make them feel slightly more comfortable and a, bit, and a bit better. And I feel like a lot of the time, especially when it comes to like, shooting grime stuff, you know, I've definitely come from like a fan perspective, yeah. you know? And I think I think people find that like, like quite comforting that you know you've you've actually listened to their music and you actually rate it do you know what i mean so um also if you're just able to sort of chat to them on a level then that sort of breaks down that barrier as well yeah um and obviously like i can i can chat for fucking england do you know what i mean like yeah, when yeah, she's yeah. end up just chatting a whole load of shit and that tends to make people laugh so yeah because yeah. i think that's obviously <laughs> an important side to being a photographer we've been on shoots before where like an artist got in the night before from New York or whatever mm-hmm. has hardly had any sleep and then yeah. he's turning up at a studio at 9am and you have to work with the set of rules that you're given like the mood that they're in and things mm-hmm. like that is that ever a struggle I mean yeah I think also maybe just the fact that I've got ADHD and I've just got more energy than most people I feel like I'm maybe able to get a little bit more out of some people like I am a million percent a people person <laughs> yeah <laughs> Do you know which I think does help with that um and I think you know there have been times where you know I've shot someone like I remember I shot Pusha T in Miami yeah in like 2016 this was literally after like a whole long like press day and I was maybe like the last thing that he's went to do that day and you know initially I was told that I was gonna get like 15 minutes with him and then they come down and I said to the woman I was like oh have I got 15 minutes she was like no no you have five minutes this is his sleep time so this is his nap time so this is going into his sleep time now so you have to be very quick I was like oh my god okay and, like you could tell he was sleepy but like bless him like he's just like the, the politest person push is great like Ask him to do something and he'll do it. Do you know what I mean? Even though he, you can tell he like really does not want to, he'll do it and he won't complain. He's super professional. He's very, that's, yeah. that's the word. Yeah. He's very professional. And I think even towards the end, because obviously, because this was in Miami for like the, the Adidas Pusha EQT release and he was wearing his like shoes that he designed. Do you know what I mean? And obviously I like made him walk across this bit of grass and he was like, gosh, maybe walk across the grass, man. Like, no. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I need to get the shot. Like, but he still wasn't like mad. Do you know what I mean? He was kind of just like walking very carefully across yeah. the grass. And then I said to him, I was like, oh, should we do some out in the street as well? And I think by that point as well, he was like getting into it. He was like posing more. He was like, oh, let's do it up against this, like the of the dog sign. Let's do this. And I think as well, like when I took the photos, obviously I had to send him to, I had to send the photos to his team for approval. And I was thinking they were going to approve like two photos. And they were like, no, they're all fine. Like, they just approved all of them. I was like, such an easygoing guy. I love people like that. <laughs> How is the approval process? Because obviously, sometimes you own the photographs, you just take them, you can mm-hmm. upload whatever you want. Sometimes you might have to agree on stuff like that. How do you kind of navigate that? Because I guess it can dilute your vision. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's just sort of knowing the situation and kind of like the context in which you are brought into that situation to take photos as to whether, you know, it would need approval. Like for instance, say if you're at a party or something and you see an artist and you take some photos, like unless someone says something, like you're free to post whatever you want. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, but you know, for example, when I went to shoot Doja Cat at her show, obviously like I went through like her PR and her team and stuff. And even though like they didn't explicitly say like, we need to approve these, because I had asked them and they had granted me, you know, backstage access to go and shoot her. I thought it was only polite to, you know, send them the photos for approval, which I did and they approved all of them, you know, but I think it's just courtesy sometimes, do you know yeah. what I mean? And I think again, yeah, if you're if you're there off your own whim, you know, taking a photo and whatever, cool. But sometimes, you know, it, it is good to just give the artist approval. Because again, there's that thing of, you know, you could post a photo that they hate and then they'll be like, oh, I never want to work with that person again. Do you know what I mean? And like with the pusher stuff, you know, I was I was told that I'd need to send it across for approval. Um, and a lot of the time it's fine. A lot of the time, you know, they disapprove all of them, but they just want to at least see it. Yeah. Um, like even that time when I dropped Rice and Tiller, you know, they wanted like approval. And I kind of thought it would be that situation where I sent them 30 photos and they'll pick like two. But like I sent them like quite a few photos and they approved maybe like half of them, which yeah. is enough to work with. Do you know what I mean? Like at least they were happy with some. So yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just good to do sometimes. It feels like you approach everything with a more like long term Mm -hmm. mindset yeah it's like you want to continue to work with these people and you might lose some likes because you might not get to post one of the pictures you Mm -hmm. wanted to post but yeah i think a lot of people won't wouldn't have that mindset they'd just be like i've got this picture i want to get that kind of instant gratification Mm -hmm. is that something you just always had or i think that comes with me actually being a fan of the artist and the music do you know what i mean so 
me personally, you know, I'd I'd want to try and maintain that relationship so that then later down the line, if they come back to London, they might shout me to take more photos. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's like, I feel like everything in life, the industry, whatever, is, is all about relationships and maintaining relationships, you know? And you kind of just want to keep that going if possible. You don't want to, you know, piss anyone off really because that's not really the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Going back to a question I asked earlier, but on the flip side, do you think that being self-taught has had any limitations? I think it definitely has had limitations. I feel like in in two ways, maybe. In the first way, maybe in like the technical side of things, I think maybe just like working in a studio with like studio lighting and stuff, you know, that is something that I've had to like learn like over a very long period of time, like on the job, you know. And it's funny cause like earlier on, even still now sometimes I'm actually watching my lighting assistants and learning from what they're doing, do you right. know what I mean? So yeah, I feel like the technical sides of things, I feel like I could have benefited from knowing like earlier on. And I think also maybe just like, cause I feel like when you're at uni and stuff, they make you do a lot of like conceptual projects and make you just do a lot of sort of trial and error shit to get to like a final thing. And I feel like with me, I think I feel like maybe I like missed that stage. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like maybe that is something that I'd like to improve on or kind of go back to and kind of maybe just like, yeah, just practice more on projects, just like build more on like certain ideas and stuff instead of just like shooting and putting it out there. Do you know what I mean? Can that ever be like tough on the ego? The fact that you're learning from assistants who have been trained, you're picking oh, no, things not up. Oh, not at all. I feel like for me personally, like I feel like I skipped a big part of like most photographers careers which is that I never assisted anyone yeah and I feel like I could have learned a lot in assisting people you know I kind of went straight from just sort of taking photos on the side to you know getting commissioned to do stuff early on I had people asking me like oh can I assist you and I'd be like but I don't know what you do especially when I wasn't even shooting in studios it was just me and the subject and my camera do you know what I mean it's like I don't and then I think maybe then after a while when I started shooting like medium format stuff or like shooting with more than one camera, I did physically need an extra set of hands or like I need like a lighting assistant or whatever. And then, you know, now I've got like a nice little rotation of assistants that I trust and that I can I can work with on a regular basis. Do you know what I mean? But I feel like, nah, it's never really an ego thing. And I feel like even, even for me, like I feel weird asking people to do stuff for me. Do you know what I mean? Like even when I'm on set and like I need someone to get something or do something like, I, I I personally don't like bossing people around. I feel like maybe it's a dynamics thing because a lot of the time my assistants are male and taller than me. Right. And I'm like, this is this little girl and I'm just like, I don't know. I just feel like I just, yeah, I don't like bossing people. Yeah. It's weird. Even when shit needs to get done. Like climbing on roofs and stuff. I mean, I'll be we doing that shit say, myself. Yeah, that's what like, I'm saying. <laughs> me and you have gone on, yeah. we won't say where at. <laughs> climbing on roofs and shit. I mean, it's got to be done sometimes. But, um... Yeah, no, it's definitely not an ego thing, I don't think. I think I love learning. I think everything is an ongoing process. And, you know, I think I think it's great to be able to have somebody on set that, you know, is more knowledgeable on certain things than me because it, it means that I can actually learn from that, you know? You've got a really good balance of, like, commercial and personal projects. And it feels like, f for me, it's kind of the same thing where, like, I have to be doing personal projects in order to be able to do something well that I'll also get paid for. Mm -hmm. How have you kind of struck up that balance and how long did it take you to get that balance right? I mean, I feel like I'm still trying to get that balance. I feel like I personally would love to do so much more personal work than I do at the moment. Right. I feel like a lot of my personal work is still not actual sort of actualized concepts and like ideas. You know I mean? There's so many things that I want to do, so many topics that I want to touch on, but it's just, I don't know, I feel like I personally struggle with like initiating stuff. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like there was a project that I started working on like a couple years ago and I actually did everything for it and then just didn't put it out because I was shook. Right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I think even now I'm trying to go back and maybe like redo it or, you know, just like do a whole different one altogether. And I feel like it is, it is hard and it is quite easy to sort of get caught up in the commercial stuff or like the commission stuff. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And you kind of get stuck in the sleep of just like saying yes to everything and just constantly doing stuff that people have told you to do. But I feel like it's important to, you know, cause there, there is always time. It's just setting aside the time to work on more personal stuff. And I guess it means you have to say no to some things, which is hard. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which yeah, can be difficult, especially if you need to do it or you want to do it. But I think, I think passion projects are the most important thing as an artist. I guess when people look at your Instagram and imagine what 
your job is like mm -hmm. what do you think that you're spending a lot of time doing or what what is the thing that you think people don't realize that you're doing I think a lot of people think I just run around taking photos of artists and just having lots of fun but obviously there's especially with like the commercial stuff that I do only like fashion stuff that I do you know and I actually end up getting bumped a lot of the time because I end up doing like a like a full producer's job as well I end up like getting locations like casting like everything so it's you know a lot of the time it's not just going and clicking a button and taking a photo do you know what I mean actually it's a lot of the time it's the entire project as well and there's a, there's a lot of work like behind that and there's a lot of admin behind that as well you know my life is literally emails yeah it's super long <laughs> you don't have an agent do you I don't have an agent no, no not at the moment so everything that you've done has been you yeah. And it's you that people are reaching out to yeah. and all of that. I do get the odd email that's just like, hi, we'd love to chat to Vicky about, oh, that's me. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't yeah, think they realise that it's me on the end of that email. Yeah. So. Why did you choose to have it that way? I feel like when I first started out, I was doing everything myself. And then a couple of years in, I was having like a bit of help with just like emailing and like chatting to clients and stuff. But then I think I just preferred to, you know, oversee everything myself. You know, I didn't like not being a part of every conversation and I guess I just felt like I was lacking control in that sort of sense. And I think I do quite like, you know, just being across everything myself, which, you know, can be tricky, but I think it's for the best right now. I think it's always important when we're reflecting on careers and stuff like this to look at like mistakes as well, because mm -hmm. I think mistakes can be the most important moments as well as those like really celebrated moments. What What is a mistake that you've made that you feel like you've learned a lot from and that's kind of helped you to progress? I don't know, so hold on. I feel like there's been a lot of sort of gradual things and I guess just like personal growth. I think maybe the, the biggest thing was like coming to terms with my whiteness in the spaces that I occupy or have occupied. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because obviously like going into it, I was like 17, 18, shooting grime and obviously going into it completely innocently, but then kind of like coming to terms with, you know, why that can be problematic, why that can be seen as like exploitative, especially from like a like an outsider's perspective, you know. And I guess just sort of just trying to make sure that everything I do, you know, comes from a good place and is respectful and I'm not taking up too much space. And I guess just as I mentioned earlier as well, just the fact that, you know, I was kind of becoming like the palatable face of grime, which, you know, was like the opposite of what I was trying to do. And I guess that was maybe why I kind of distanced myself from grime specifically for a little bit. Right. Just because like, I didn't feel comfortable in kind of coming to terms with, you know, what, I represented in the spaces that I was in. So I kind of came away from it a little bit. And I think people noticed that I wasn't as much <laughs> right. in it as before. But I think, I did feel like maybe at the time I was maybe taking up too much space than I should be. Do you know what I mean? Right. I think now that that has allowed so many other people to come in and do their thing as well, which is yeah. great. I think something that's really difficult with creativity is how do you put a price on it? How do you work out how mm. much the thing that you're making is worth to like, some mm. of the big brands that you've worked with and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's a fucking minefield. Like, even even now, I'm just like, should I be charging this? How much should I charge for this? But I think the most important thing, I'll say two things. The, the Number one is I think most people, and there's a common misconception that people think that you need to be charging an hourly rate. Like, fuck that, that scrap that. You charge like a day rate and a half day rate. And I always put, like, once you know what you want your day rate to be, I will always put my half day rate as like a fraction more than half of that. That right. makes sense. And even if a shoot is an hour, like you, you charge a half day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because um, then otherwise, if you're charging hourly, then people will try bump you and only do you for an hour or like you're constantly checking the time. And do you know what I mean? It doesn't really make sense that way. And you know, clients don't really work like that. Do you know what I mean? It's literally full day, half day or whatever. Um, and I think the most important thing is to gauge how much the client or the person paying you has. You know? Yeah. So like, I've got different rates for like commercial staff or for editorial staff or for press shoots or whatever, do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like knowing your value, but then also knowing how much money someone has as well. So, you know, I would I would charge a certain amount for like a, a global brand campaign and I'd obviously charge a lot less for like an independent artist that's self-managed. And that, that sort of comes with experience and kind of like getting to know the industry more and just getting to know how much, you know, people are willing to pay because obviously Bearing in mind that as a, as a creative, like your fee might go up, but other people's willingness to pay a certain amount is not going to go up. So there's there's certain things that will sort of stay. And, and yeah, but I guess it just depends on how willing you are to do that thing as well, whether you do want to shoot for that artist. Because sometimes, you know, if someone's up and coming or whatever, and like I really rate their music, like I will be happy to do it for a lot less for them. 
Um, but I guess that just comes through my passion for music as well. And kind of maybe just wanted to help put on like smaller up and coming artists. Yeah, because sometimes I've seen people who are like starting out, pricing themselves out of getting a really good opportunity. Mm. But it is obviously difficult to work out. Part of part of the deal is that it's a good opportunity for you and you get mm. kind of more exposure. But then you also don't want to be working for a massive brand for no money. Yeah. And, so and this is the thing you kind of you end up kind of doing one of two things, which is either you price yourself out and they literally ghost you, they don't say anything and they'll just get Sally that will do it for half the price. Or you undersell yourself, get the job and then find out that you could have got three times as much. Do you know what I mean? And that still happens. Like that happens to me all the time, you know? And like sometimes I'll deliberately undercut myself and do it for a lot less because say I'm like, I've got rent coming up, you know, I've like side invoices haven't come in. I know I'm being pitched against other photographers. So I'll I'll do it for way less just because like I needed that job at the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You've got to just play it strategically sometimes. Yeah. I mean, this might have been a conversation we had a while ago, so it might have changed, but there was a point where you were like moving away from shooting as many live shows mm -hmm. and trying to do more studio or on location stuff. Mm -hmm. What point did you decide to do that? I think it was just the fact that I could get more, just have sort of just like more freedom and just like more so options when you're shooting somebody obviously it's very limited when you're shooting somebody on a stage yeah. you know and I think also as well I think because I was shooting so many live shows for me you know off my own back that then I was getting commissioned to do even more and I think it's when I'm getting commissioned to do events that that's when it's stressful you know if it's a gig or whatever fine but when it's like a rave or whatever and I'm being commissioned to shoot specific things and I need to shoot for the whole night it really takes the fine out of actually being there for me do you know what I mean because obviously at the end of the day like I love music more than anything and I'd much rather actually go to that night, not be commissioned to be there, you know, not get paid. I might take my camera, take a couple of photos. I might even send it to them, but I'm not really trying to shoot the whole night anymore because it, it, it's really draining. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, I'm small, so trying to navigate crowds is super long, like super long for me. And I think now, especially when it comes to gigs and stuff, you know, I'd much rather do like a, a backstage piece on that artist and actually shoot them as they're getting ready or shoot them backstage or whatever. And then maybe get a few live shots to go with that. And I think that just makes it a little bit more special. As a music fan, do you find that, because I, I find this a lot at festivals, if I'm supposed to be doing an interview and the artist taking a while and I'm sitting there, I'm like, we're just sitting here backstage mm -hmm. when like all these acts we like are out there performing. Do you mm -hmm. find it hard to actually get to see some of the stuff you want to see? I think sometimes, I've shot so many festivals now and I think early on when I was shooting festivals and I was shooting for publications or whatever, and a lot of the time I'm sent like a long list of people that the publication or the festival wants me to cover. And you know, some of them might be people that I want to see and some of them might not be. And it means that I'm missing other acts that I want to see. And again, that's that's long for me. <laughs> Do you know mm. what I mean? Like I'm, I'm there for the music and I'm there to enjoy myself. So that also takes the fun out of it. But I think because I've, I've sort of done my time shooting so many festivals that then when the actual festivals or publications see what I can do, they almost let me do my own thing now. Yeah. So like, literally in two days, I'm going I'm going Outlook Festival in Croatia right. for my fifth time, because <laughs> it's right. my favorite place in the whole world. And for the last couple of years that I've shot there, they've kind of just been like, yeah, like we'll, we'll put you up, we'll sort you out, we'll give you, you know, full backstage access to everything and, you know, shoot whatever you want. Like they, they want it to be like a Vicky Grout photo diary. That's, ideal for me really that's like the optimum situation yeah. you know because it means that you know i i get to enjoy myself you know i'm not stressing even though i will be stressing anyway because i'm a perfectionist and there's going to be certain artists that i want to shoot anyway but yeah. there's not the added pressure of like oh i need to get this for them as well as for me do you know yeah. what i mean so so yeah it means that i do get to shoot stuff and i do get to see the acts and the artists that i do want to see as well which is good how would you describe your um relationship with instagram because i feel like it's easy to get sucked into mm -hmm. and a lot of people are needing to switch off from it but mm -hmm. i feel like for you it's obviously integral to your work yeah yeah obviously it's a big part of my of my job and what i do and obviously instagram has has helped me a lot as yeah. well especially like in the early days at 2014 2015 times you know that was where people were mostly seeing my work as well and i will you know, obviously use Instagram to promote my work, but I purposefully try not to get too sucked into Instagram. Like, you know, sometimes like people can end up sitting there for hours just like flicking through people's stories. I I don't really find it that hard to resist doing that. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I'd much rather sit and maybe like read a book or something. Like I'll, I'll go through Instagram if I'm like, I don't know, trying to find people like to cast for something right. or I'm actually doing research or whatever. But a lot of the time I'll go on Instagram to post my shit and then that's really it. Weirdly, I don't really find it that hard to just put my phone down. I feel like there's, there's other things that can entertain me. Yeah. Do you know 
what I mean? Whether it's like, like I love reading, whether it's reading a book or, you know, I actually like, I, like I actually read books on my phone as well. Like I've got iBooks. Yeah. So a lot of the time if I'm on the tube or whatever, like instead of just scrolling through Instagram or whatever, I'll actually like try and read a book or like I use Medium a lot as well. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I, I just love kind of just like taking in new information and just like learning new things. And I feel like there's, yeah, just better ways to spend your time than just spending hours on Instagram. What's Even the, though shout out Instagram has done a lot for me, but I'm also not trying to spend all day yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> What's the most life-changing book or like perception-changing book that you've read? I think the best book of all time is The Autobiography of Malcolm X. Just because it's fucking sick. He lived a wild life. A super wild. And obviously, like, if anyone's seen the Spike Lee Malcolm X film, it's literally like reading the book. It's literally like, there's just... I feel like because his, his life was so, like, action-packed, especially, like, in, like, the years, like, before he went to prison, obviously, like, he was gangbanging, like, he was, like, doing the most. So all of that is interesting to read, do you know what I mean? And then, obviously, his time in prison was very interesting when he actually, like, converted to Islam and everything. And obviously, his time out of prison with, like, the nation and everything. I just think he just lived a very, very interesting life, and I feel like we could all take a page out of <laughs> Malcolm's book. Um, and I think there's been a few other books that I've read that have obviously... Because they're from a similar movement as well, and they've actually been very similar, but equally as inspiring is like Asar Shakur's autobiography and like Hugh P. Newton's autobiography, which obviously came a bit a bit later, but obviously lived very very similar lives, and you know equally as inspirational as well. When work and kind of your passion are, are like the same thing, mm-hmm. I kind of have the same with like if I'm going to a gig, I enjoy it as a fan, but there's still an element, especially in London, you'll bump into people who you mm-hmm. know from work and all that. You kind of like always I bump switch into on. Either, basically every gig. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do that's completely separate to that to switch off? I think as I said before, I think sometimes maybe just go into like a show or whatever, and even though it's very hard for me to not take a camera, you know the fact that I'm going for me. And there's no pressure to take photos unless I actually want to, you know, because regardless, like I'm going to want to take photos anyway, because I love taking photos and I love music. Do you know what I mean? And if I'm, especially if I'm at a party or something and there's like somebody there and I haven't got a camera and I've missed an opportunity, I'm going to be pissed. So I try to take a camera everywhere with me anyway. And I think for me sometimes as well, it is quite hard to distinguish like work from pleasure just because like I do love what I do and I get to shoot what I love as well. As I said before, kind of like cutting down on shooting as many like commission nights and stuff. And especially with festivals where I do have the freedom to, to see how I want to see and shoot what I want to shoot. And sometimes literally just going as a fan to to not work, do you know what I mean? And that just kind of keeps it, keeps it fun for me, I guess. Yeah. What's the most difficult thing that you've had to overcome in your career? I think I touched on it as well. Just kind of just like my position right. in the industry and in yeah. the context within that as well. And I think just, yeah, just come to terms with, you know, the connotations of being, you know, a white person in, in black spaces mm-hmm. and kind of having to, I think I had to mature very quickly at that point as well. And kind of just having to learn how to, how to navigate certain spaces in a respectful way. I think that was my biggest hurdle already. Right. And I think every day is, is, you know, a learning process and every day we're having to learn and unlearn things. Like you touched on before, you came into the, you came into it for very pure, very innocent reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When do you think that you really came to terms or, or when do you think you realised that mm-hmm. there was a problematic element to... I think I think it was a gradual thing. It was actually my boyfriend that pointed it out at one point right. as well, just sort of like, you know, in a completely polite way, but just being like, oh, like, have you ever considered that maybe part of the reason why you're at where you're at is because of your whiteness? And obviously at the time I was like, how can you say that? You know, like my work speaks for itself. Da, da, da. And then I kind of had to be like, right, now actually... I do need to check myself and I do need to come to terms with the fact that like I do have privilege because of that you know obviously I'm good at what I do but I can't ignore the fact that my whiteness has played a part in my success as well um so yeah, I think this is all about checking yourself really and just like yeah personal growth what are you most proud of about what you've achieved so far oh, I don't know, these, these are hard questions <laughs> I feel like what we did with push was really fun just because yeah. I think that was, you know, a different aspect to just sort of shooting or whatever that was actually, you know, producing and directing and sort of curating, um, you know, a publication. And it was interesting to be on the commissioning end of it. You yeah. know, it was weird for me to be commissioning stuff and me making the photo selects of other people's work. Yeah. Um, and I think I think I learned a lot from that as well. Right. Um, and I think also maybe just now, I think 
trying to come out of that sort of pigeonhole and trying to sort of diversify my work a bit more as well and just trying to actually take the time out to work more on like passion projects and stuff I think that's also an ongoing thing that I want to work on more so do you still feel like you're pigeonholed oh yeah definitely even now like there's still certain things where I'll be doing a talk somewhere, I'll do some something somewhere, and you know, and they write like a little bio, and they'll be like, oh, like grind photographer, and I'm like, can you change that, please? Because like, again, I don't want to be this like, this like pinnacle of grime. Yeah. But at the same time, I also like I, I do shoot a lot more than that as well. So yeah. Is there you've shot Chance now, right? Like, barely, okay. like not really. Because I was going to say, I know that at one point that was the thing. Yeah, like, I've I've shot him, like, I've got a couple jokes, like, backstage portraits of him, of him, like, super wasted with, like, a drink in his hand. Right. Literally, like, two photos of him looking like a deer in the headlights. But I would I would really love to shoot him properly, um, just because I am a big chance fan. And, um, again, that's one of those things where, like, I don't really want to force it, do you know what I mean? Like, I've been in situations where I've been around him and I've not really tried to take his photo every time do you know what I mean because again I don't want to be that person um and hopefully one day it can happen hopefully one day I'll actually get commissioned to shoot him properly for something or I don't know but yeah so is that still the or is there anyone who's like overtaken as the person that you want to shoot I feel like there's so many people that I'd love to shoot like I'd love to shoot Solange (laughs) just because I think she'd be amazing to shoot I'd really love to shoot Rico Nasty just because like she looks fucking sick um who else would be amazing I think Rihanna is just a no-brainer. <laughs> I'd really love to shoot Common just because like, I'm a big Common fan and I've yeah. heard he's like the nicest person ever. Because I'm always like, oh, like, don't meet your heroes or whatever. Then someone was like, no, no, he is the nicest guy. I'm like, okay, maybe I will meet him. But again, I think it's just down to like people whose music I really love. Do you know what I mean? That I'd love to shoot. Also, it'd be good to shoot Normani just because I love her and yeah. she's going to do so fucking well. And she's great. <laughs> And the last question I had was just, what does success look like for you? What is the, like, end goal? Where do you want to? I think for me, the end goal... I think at one point I would like to maybe start my own publication. Because I think that's just, like, naturally where that could lead to. Do you know what I mean? Um, So I think there's that. Um, I'd love to have, like, my own photography studio. Maybe, like, my own production house where I could do everything in-house. You know, have a studio that I can, you know, use for my own shoots, but also hire out to people. And I think also it's just something that I'm starting to do now as well is actually like teach courses on photography. You know, right. like my boyfriend runs like a youth, a youth studio in Brixton that's going to do like f- free classes for, you know, for, for young kids, you know, in, in that sort of area. So I think it would be quite nice. I think it's quite nice that I'm self-taught that I'd maybe be able to teach it from like a different perspective. And I think maybe just being able to, you know, give opportunities to young sort of kids that might not have those opportunities in school or like elsewhere or whatever. Because I feel like... Creative subjects are so important, man. Like, I know there's been, like, funding cuts to, like, creative subjects and stuff as if they're not equally as important as everything else. Do you know what I mean? It's not more important. So, yeah, I think that's probably my end goal. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Making Conversation with Grant Bryden featuring Vicky Grout. If you liked this episode, then please be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you're listening to podcasts. You can find Vicky at Vicky Grout on socials. You can find me on social media at Grant Bryden. Thank you to Kiki where this episode of Making Conversation was recorded.